You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 97th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I have with us an interesting person I met through a mutual friend, Kent Provo. When we met, I was impressed by Kent's character, conversation, and style, and thought you might be as well. Kent B. Provost, PhD, is the current coordinator of the Doctor of Philosophy, PhD, in Counselor Education and Supervision, a KCREP accredited program at Governor State University. Dr. Provo received his doctoral degree in 2009 from Idaho State University's Counselor Education and Counseling, a KCREP accredited doctoral program. He maintains his licensed professional counselor, clinical licensure in Oregon, practicing as well as conducting supervision for over 15 years. Dr. Provo has extensive experience teaching master's and doctoral courses. He is also a longstanding member of the American Counseling Association and the Association for Counselor Education and Supervision. Dr. Provo has worked in numerous clinical settings and actively supervises clinicians working with a broad variety of diverse clients, including settings, issues, cultural identity, age, gender identity, and sexuality. Additionally to conducting supervision and other workshops for Professional Education Systems Institute, PESI, and throughout the United States, Dr. Provo has presented at several national, regional, and state professional conferences on topics related to clinical supervision, trauma, group work, alexithymia, co-occurring disorders, men and masculinity, and innovative teaching strategies. Dr. Provo is currently a national board member for the Council for Accreditation of Counseling and Related Educational Programs, KCREP. He has also served as a KCREP accreditation site team leader and general visitor for over five years. He has extensive knowledge and experience not only evaluating counseling programs across the United States for accreditation, but has authored four successful full accreditation self-studies. Dr. Provo is additionally a national KCREP accreditation consultant for other programs seeking accreditation. Dr. Provo held one of two national student ACA positions for three years as the ACA National Convention Volunteer Coordinator. In this capacity, he managed and supervised over 180 student volunteers who volunteered from 12 to 24 hours over a five-day period. Welcome, Kent, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about leadership and your approach to it. Thank you, Kim, for inviting me to do this. When I became a leader of an international organization, I suddenly understood that for 50 years, my mother had been correct and telling me that you can please some of the people all the time and you can please all the people some of the time, but you can never please all the people all the time. That was what was guiding my leadership. And I learned rather quickly that my mother was correct and that that probably should not have been my approach. So I'm curious if that's something you've also experienced. And if so, what is it that guides your moral compass in leadership? It's interesting that you ask me that because reflecting back, I realized until more recently, a lot of it was like, I didn't want people not to like me. 
And so that was like trying to always placate things, trying to make sure everything was okay and rosy and realizing that that just wasn't going to happen. And then I would take a lot of things personal when people weren't liking what was happening or that sort of thing or what I was having to try to have them try to help me out with. I realized that it is impersonal. And so it took a while to realize that I still have that interest in having them to be engaged and feeling valued in whatever project that we're doing but also relieving that whole piece of it's not about me if something should happen related to what they're doing or their impressions about what's going on. So that was a big learning thing. It's like, it's not about being liked anymore. It's being respected and then understood as well as I need to respect and understand them. That sounds a lot healthier than trying (laughs) to make people like you when maybe they don't. And that's okay. How do you handle conflict in the workplace? That's a great question um, for me to really kind of think about when you asked me that. I was going, hmm, what types of conflict have I had and how have I tried to manage that? The main piece is having people felt heard and understand. I kind of reflect back into my mediation training that I had in the state of Oregon that I'm a certified mediator there, although they don't have an official state um, certification for it. But I was trained over 120 hours of mediation work. And a lot of it goes back down to nothing maybe actually resolved or people seeing different. But as long as they feel like they've had that contribution and are being heard and understood and then explained why it may or may not work. Whether it's a conflict with me, whether it's a conflict with another peer, is like trying to get people to at least understand and know the full reasoning underlining what's going on versus just directing they need to do this. I feel like people need to know the whys and wherefores and how did something come about or why is something being asked of them versus just telling them that they have to do something. So it's more about explaining, understanding resourcing and valuing their input. And especially if they're doing something that is a challenge for them to acknowledge the challenge and acknowledge my trust in their abilities to accomplish something. And then thanking them once it's done and valuing that. It's not just the beginning, it's the end, the validation piece. I love that. That's so often overlooked. People expect that everybody's going to function at the level that they expect them to function at. And that sometimes that's just taken for granted. So I love that you mentioned the thank you at the end. Mm-hmm. Speaking of challenges, what are some of the leadership challenges you've tackled and would like to tell our audience about so maybe they could avoid some of the things that you've already experienced? The most recent leadership challenge that I've encountered was at my last institution that I was working at, where the main directors and core people in the the faculty group were gone, and I ended up becoming the director. And then in that process, we had some significant to the program tasks that had to be done in a very short period of time. In that, I also was having to hire people into the program. And my approach with that was really to acknowledge their specific contributions that I see them being able to provide for the program and the value that they would be providing in this particular project and deviating it out to whoever is kind of like that expert or that's really their focus or that's their interest or that's their knowledge related to the project and asking them, is this something that I see them being able to really help us out with? Are they willing to actually contribute and be part of it? Because of this process, we were able to get a relatively six to nine month project completed in two months. Wow. From start to finish. Yeah. That sounds and, amazing. 
Right. And everybody just worked so hard. I would ask them for things and then they would send them to me if they weren't clear what they needed to do. They would I said, send me what you got. And then I would give them feedback about, yeah, this is it. Or how about looking at it this way or that sort of thing. So I was really kind of like becoming the facilitator orchestrator of the project with them doing a lot of the detail and specific work as they got a stronger understanding of what was needed to be done. It sounds like first you recognize their strengths and you connect it to what you're hoping they can contribute to the project. And then you ask if they're willing, not just say, I need you to do this. You ask. And then Mm -hmm. when people agree, you get full on cooperation. It sounds awesome. Right. And I guess that's always kind of been my leadership style. When you say what areas I want you to avoid, well, I would say those would be what leaders I've had have been just telling me, I need to do this and you do this without any clear direction, without any understanding. And then when I put a lot of time into it, they tell me all oh, was done completely wrong and now they're going to have to redo the whole thing all over again. To me, that was so disheartening, devaluing. And so I made sure whenever I was in that type of a leadership position, I would do the opposite. Nice. It seems to have worked well for you, and I imagine it would work well for any leader. Yeah. What would you say has been your proudest accomplishment as a leader so far? Well, again, that particular task to me was fantastic and getting people on board and seeing how much they worked as a team, they worked together. It just was really a wonderful and fulfilling experience for me as well as for the entire team. Most recently, I also did another major report for the current program that I'm in and just how they supported me and what I was doing. And then if there was anything beyond my purview, they then filled in the gaps. Then when I was asking people again, using that same model, can you do this? Can you do that? Because in those cases, I didn't have the capacity or knowledge. I was relying on others that they stepped forward and supported me in the project. Nice. So on a continuum of leadership, where on the one end is the my way or the highway kind of leader, on the other one, I think of the doormat that just lets their people run all over them. Mm -hmm. Where would you find yourself? And what do you think is the most effective place to be on that continuum for a leader? A brief history, um, when I owned a furniture floor company retail store, I was more in that my way or the highway type thing. It's like I was this perfectionist, but I realized perfection was in my eyes and not necessarily others. And I actually got challenged by one of my employees. That's one thing I'm appreciative of is they felt safe to challenge me as their employer and said, you know, just because it's not done your way, that doesn't mean it's not going to work. And that just really opened my eyes to, yeah, I need to decide if there's things I need to allow other people to do and acknowledge their skill set and that sort of thing and let it be. If they're more particular, what is the importance of what they need to be done, how they need be done to give more specific direction and then still allowing them the freedom. So I would say currently I'm not polarized on either end, but I am kind of like in the middle and I go back and forth depending what the project is and what needs to be done with the project. But most of the time, I'm more about the trying to explain, say, this is what we're needing to get done. This is the task. 
I will direct you and clear up any questions you might have about the task, but I am trusting you to be able to put your best efforts and energy into it. Right now in our doctoral program, we're even revamping our master level and doctoral level program learning outcomes. And for me, it's just giving them explicit information of what it is that we need to do, what they might look like, giving them some examples, and then saying, please, you know, do what you think, knowing the program, knowing what you're working on, produce what you think needs to be the best production for it. Our doctorate program, we were able to accomplish that task within about an hour. And then the master's program was a little more challenging. I wasn't in that meeting and working with them, but what they produced was phenomenal. And I just couldn't thank them enough for what they got. They still have more work to do, but I really was pleased with what they did. So that's kind of like clear directions and then trusting them with their expertise, their knowledge, their professionalism to do the best that they can and then acknowledging that. And giving them the information they need to improve on it, if right. need be. And it's, and it's also knowing that, yeah, I could go in and step in and do it, but that just makes it my project versus the team project. So I want to have it to be everybody has ownership into what it is that we're doing and accomplishing. When you step in, you send a very clear message that you don't have to do a very good job, just slap something together and the boss will fix it. I saw that yeah. in operation at another place where I worked. It was not a good, healthy leadership role to have. Right. I'll fix whatever you do. So then people didn't give their best because they thought, why should I try hard? They're just going to change it anyway. I like that you put the responsibility where it belongs and you give them the information that they need to be successful. One of my downfalls as a leader is I have very clear pictures in my head of what I want, and I'm not always great at communicating those. And sometimes I'll laugh because somebody will ask a question and, and my answer will be, what, you can't see what's in my head? You know? Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and with that, I think that the other thing is it's important is the follow through. Thanking mm -hmm. them for this wonderful work that they did and trusting them to continue on with that. Just monitoring if there's something that's not quite what we're needing to have is rethinking what it is that I did or didn't do to explain what was going on. And that was also came up with the other group. They got something a little bit confused. And I realized that was my ineffective explanation. So then I just re-explained it and they say, oh, great, we got it now. That's the other piece too. It's not criticizing, not telling them they did a shitty job but helping them further understand if something isn't clear. Right. And that often falls on the leader. And that mm. is also a really important quality of leaders that they're able to self-evaluate. When mm. there's a problem and they're not getting what they want, it's time to look at themselves and say, did I explain it right? It's not always the other person's fault. A lot of times it rests with us as leaders. With the motivational interviewing, which I've had a lot of training in it, is rewording the thought of resistance. Someone's being resistant to, they're giving me feedback. Mm -hmm. So that makes me in charge of and responsible for doing something different versus saying that they have to get on board and do something different. Oh, and that is so in line with choice theory, because in choice theory, we say the only person's behavior you can control is your own. So if you're looking outward and pointing your finger of blame at someone else and not taking the time to look in the mirror and see how you're contributing, you're probably not going to be very effective as a leader. Right. How do you get the people you're working with to follow your vision? It's really being clear and making sure that they're understanding and then asking if they can also buy into that vision. Because it's also saying, well, do you have some other ideas, some other opinions related to the vision, knowing that can we agree on this common goal? 
And a lot of times the vision is how to achieve the goal with what's going on. So I think that's kind of important is just the clarity, but also getting input and feedback from them and not just saying, this is what the vision is. So this is what we have to achieve. It's like, well, this is my vision. What might be your visions or what might be your adjustments or what do you have a buy-in with this vision? I believe more in that collaborative team effort. Yes, there are times when uh, I say, well, this is what has to be done because either for one reason or another, it might be people above me saying this has to be done. So I explain that, but how we get it done or what is it that we produce within that framework can be open and flexible. And I like to have people have ownership and feel proud of what it is that's accomplished. So it sounds like as a leader, you may share the what and allow the team to figure out what the best approach is. So they get to determine the how mm-hmm. with your input. Yes. Yeah. Right. I like that. What would you say are the three most important characteristics for aspiring leaders to possess? Listening, understanding, listening to understand, I should say, honoring and valuing, honoring expertise and valuing their contributions. Regardless of what ends up happening, they'll know that they've had power of input. They've had influence into whatever the outcomes ends up being through that piece. I like to distinguish between characteristics and skills. So what would you say are the three most important skills that leaders need to develop? Let me go back. Not taking things personal would be a characteristic versus listening to understand is a skill. To be open to other ideas and concepts and thoughts, to me, is more of a characteristic. And how I do that by displaying how I value, how I appreciate, how I might even say something like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Okay, let's look at that further. Let's explore this other thought concept that I haven't had further to get a full understanding so we're all on the same page. It's also kind of a skill set, but it's part of that characteristic of valuing their input and clarity of that. And then the appreciation to me is thanking them. And then thanking them with specifics of what it is that you see that they've been able to help you with and achieve for the greater good. Characteristics is appreciation. But then again, how I do that is being not just saying, thank you, I appreciate this work, but being more specific about what work they produce that you really appreciate. Right. So specific feedback, not just great job. Thanks. Right, right. <laughs> oh, there's a whole Delbert strip that, you know, the manager goes, thank you, Delbert, for your input, blah, 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 blah. So basically, that's being dismissive versus engaging and honoring. Yeah. I want to give you an opportunity if there's anything about leadership that you'd like to add before we close. I guess the main thing that I learned over the years is to understand that sometimes I am human. I might take something personal. And if I find that challenge that I need to process through it before responding and reacting to what may not be needed and finding a way to really respond and react or whatever it is that needs to be done in a way that isn't being defensive. I even had a situation recently where all of a sudden I realized I was getting hit on a personal level. And I realized rather than react immediately, I need to let it sit. And I needed to let it just kind of like be there, even tell people I need to take a moment. I will get back at a certain time or whatever, and then process my own stuff, my own reactions, what's behind my reactions, what it is that I'm thinking about or feeling in that. And how can I shift that to not taking it personal? Then what would be my response in that particular situation? 
again, that just happened recently and it worked. And I was really proud of what I ended up doing. And the main emphasis is trying to maintain a positive relationship, regardless who the person is in relationship to you. And I think that was positive. But part of it is I don't want to push people away, even if there's challenging tasks or challenging feedback that I might receive and or give. But how can I actually do something within that construct that's still maintaining that relationship? I really like that. And I have a personal rule. If I get an email or a message, but usually it's an email and I feel some painful emotion, either anger or sadness, or feel like it's about me or an an attack on my character. I never respond until I can Mm. get to a neutral place because I think my response would be hurtful. And like you say, the relationship is something that I value above everything. And so taking the time to get yourself in a neutral place, take a deep breath, whatever you need to do, however long it takes. And there's some people who might know that they sent me an email I didn't like because it might take me four or five days to get back to them. (laughs) But I will get back. It's when I know how I can respond in a way that honors both me and the other person. Yeah, not being passive aggressive, but responding at some point. And it's even like I said that very first time, but my employees challenged me with wanting to redo something. The fact that they felt safe to do that, I then also then honored in that moment. You know, thank you for stepping up and feeling safe to tell me because, yes, I'm hearing you. I'm looking at my stuff, but I'm also feeling that at least our relationship has been developed where you can trust for me to be able to receive it and not re-attack you. And that's a beautiful reframe. It takes someone who has done some self-evaluation and some work to be able to understand that whatever information you're getting really isn't personal. Right. And then to move forward in a way that honors who you are, helps you be the person you want to be while respecting the relationship you have with the other person. Yeah. And that's, again, this also fits that I'm more of a spiritual person. And again, if you're showing this video, you'll see it. But if you're hearing my eye, I'm sure behind me on the table is Buddha playing a flute. And that to me is part of that just relaxation, meditation, just heal yourself, be present and try to become in harmony. Yes. Be like water. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I I like that concept. If I have listeners who would like to get in contact with you, maybe discuss some of these ideas further, how would they do that? The best way to get a hold of me is by email, which is my first and last name, Kent Provost, even though it's spelled Provost, it is pronounced Provo, it's French, at hotmail.com. And if you are saying that because of the number and magnitude of emails that I get, make sure that you put in the subject line that it's in reference to this podcast so that I will pay attention to it versus just delete it. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> and if I don't respond, I try to respond to all emails within 24 hours. I do not check my junk mail very often, but if you don't hear from me, you might also contact Kim and let her know that you've been trying to reach me. And then I would be more attentive to see if it's in my junk mail folder. Terrific. I'm happy to facilitate that. I want to, in true form to what we've been talking about, express my deep appreciation for your time on this Saturday. We're actually doing this on a Saturday. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate the information that you've shared. 
it is so in line with what I believe as a choice theory leader, even though you don't know about choice theory, it's very wonderful for me to find someone with similar ideas about leadership Mm -hmm. and someone who values their own integrity as well as the relationship of the people that they're working with and understands that things still have to get done. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Kent. You're more than welcome. And thank you for this opportunity. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be talking with author Charles Gill about his ideas regarding leadership. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.